Amen. Amen. Dan, you can stay and be with me on stage. <laughs> Man, there's so much that has to happen there in that little bit of time. Hey, anybody here love Jesus? Can we just give him some praise right now? Amen. This old evangelist came to our church one time, and he, it was after worship. He stood up. I'll never forget what he said. He said, boy, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. And I'm just telling you, that was some good worship. Hey guys, we're in a sermon series about the enemy. We're in a sermon series called Nope, Not Today, Satan, and it's week two. And so we're continuing on uh, with this journey of learning about the enemy, learning about his plans, his schemes, his tactics. Last week, we did kind of an introductory message, and here's what we learned. We learned that Satan is a decided fact, that when you open the pages of Scripture, he, he is real, he is absolutely real. We, we saw some research that said that uh, there's a percentage of Americans that believe that he's not real. There's a percentage that think he's just a symbol of evil, but that is absolutely categorically not true. He is real. He's a decided fact. The second thing we saw is that he's a destructive force, that he is real and he is bent on evil. He has bad intentions for you. And then, but here's the good news. The third thing that we looked at was that he is a defeated foe. Amen. He's defeated, and so his ultimate defeat will be in the lake of fire. But even before that, God has given us the ability to overcome his tactics. And so scripture does tell us to be sober-minded, to be alert. But watch this. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. It says, be sober-minded, but it doesn't say be scared. Scripture tells us to be alert, but it doesn't tell us that we have to be anxious. It doesn't tell us that we have to cower because he can be defeated. Ephesians 6.11 gives us some insight into that. It says, put on the whole armor of God. So this is a battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the what? What's that word? The schemes. Uh, you could use methods. You could use tactics, tricks, whatever word you want to say. Now think about this, guys. Satan has schemes. God has power. Which side do you want to be on? You know, I mean, really. Anybody ever have this experience? It's middle school. You're late to recess. The, the kickball teams have already been picked. And so you get to pick your team. Well, in essence, that's what we're saying here today, is that you get to pick which side you play for. One, one side has schemes. The other side has power. And so we want to be on the side that has power. So we're looking at his schemes. We, we saw them last week. All this is review. 1 John 2.16 says this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now there's his, his three favorites right there. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's interesting to me, psychologists that, uh, who, who don't even necessarily adhere to Christianity, don't even necessarily read Scripture, they, they were seeing this in people. They, they needed to give it some handles. They needed to give it some terms that they could use. 
And so psychologists call it uh, hedonism, materialism, and narcissism. That it's so commonplace in our society, it is abundantly clear even to unbelievers. So I've got this chart. I want to go ahead and show it to you. Right there, you see each of the different categories just with some different names. And that last line, those are the, the everyday, ordinary terms that you're probably most familiar with. Pleasure, possessions, and position. Well, these are Satan's favorite tactics. He uses them again and again. He's been using them for a long time. The good news is he doesn't have a lot of tricks. Uh, but the bad news is he's really effective. These, these tricks really work. And so I want to take you all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We're going to look at Eve because he, he perpetrated these tricks on her. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it and ate. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Let me break this down for you. You see these three things right here. It was first good for food. That means Eve saw it. She said, man, that looks good. I bet it tastes good. I want to get in on that. There was some pleasure. She wanted to experience that pleasure. Then the next thing in the verse, it says, it was a delight to the eye. In other words, I see it, I want it. I don't just want to look at it and behold its beauty. I want to possess its beauty. So she took hold of it. She wanted to have it. That's possessions. And then this last one, that it was desired to make one wise. A few verses earlier, Satan had told her, if you eat from that tree, you will be wise like God. Your eyes will be open. You'll, you'll, be, uh, you'll be understanding like God. And so when Eve was looking at that fruit, more than it just being pleasurable to look at, more than just wanting it, she wanted her position to change. She thought, she thought man, why would God withhold something good from me? I want to take and eat. And so ultimately, of course... She gave in to those schemes. She, she lost the battle to those schemes. When you look through Scripture, you see these schemes, you see these tactics pop up in all different places. I want to take you, though, let's fast forward to the New Testament. I want to look at Jesus. Jesus is our model in all things. And I want to show you where Satan tried to use these same three tactics on him it's found in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. And, and when you go there, I'm not going to read the whole account. You can read it later this afternoon. But let me kind of just tell you what, what's happening here. So Jesus is fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's getting ready to start his, his public ministry. He's getting ready to start his earthly ministry. So he fasts 40 days, 40 nights. And Scripture says that at the end of that, he was hungry. To which we all replied, Duh. I mean, I don't eat for four hours and I'm hungry. He went 40 days and nights. He's hungry. And so Satan comes to him and he says, he, he, Satan knows who Jesus is. He knows the significance of this life. And so he wants to go ahead and, and ruin it before it really gets started. Go ahead and ruin the ministry before the ministry gets going. 
And so Satan comes to him and he says, Jesus, these stones, you could take those and turn those into bread. Why don't you do that? Just enjoy, just eat, just, just take those. You, you know, you got to be hungry. And Jesus says, absolutely not. What's he tempting him? He's tempting him with pleasure. Well, then it goes on. So since that scheme didn't work, Satan says, okay, strike one. Let's go to the next one. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, I've not, I know what it says about you. The angels won't allow your foot to be dashed. They won't allow you to get hurt. You're important. Do you know how important you are? Just throw yourself down. Just, just use your position to your advantage. So he tempts him in that way. Jesus, of course, does not give in to that either. Well, now that's strike two. Okay, now what are we left with? So now Satan takes him to a high mountain. And he says, look. You see all this? As far as your eye can see, all of it. I will give you all of it if you will bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus did not give in to that as well. What's he tempting him with? Possessions. You can have it all. You can have all this stuff. You can possess all of it. And Jesus didn't do it. As a matter of fact, here's what Jesus said, verse 10 of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Can I just put that in the bridge version? Y'all ready for it? Nope, not today, Satan. Come on, that's good. He said, nope, not today, Satan. And then he said, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I want you to notice, it says, for as it is written. In every single one of these temptations, as you go back and read Matthew chapter 4 later, as you go back and read Luke chapter 4, one of the things you're going to notice is that to overcome these schemes of the enemy, Jesus quotes Scripture. Guys, that's the reason why we need to be in our Word. That's the reason why Scripture reading and Scripture memorization is so important. Because in order to be able to defeat a lie, you've got to know the truth. And God's word is absolute truth. That's the reason why three weeks ago, we've been pumping up the Bible reading plan. We're reading the Bible in a year. And so many of you have jumped on that on board with us. And I want to encourage you. I know what's happening. We're three weeks in. You know what that means? Resolutions normally last for about how long? Couple weeks. Then life happens and we start making excuses. And you know what? I'm busy. I got other stuff going on. So I just want to encourage you. Keep it going. Keep it up. Make time for it. Maybe you're like, I didn't even jump in the Bible reading. It's not too late. We're only three weeks in. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. Stick with it because that's the way we defeat Satan is by knowing God's word. All right. So all that was the introduction. Who's pumped? Be honest with me. Who's a little scared? Okay. My wife raised, my, raised her hand. <clears throat> honesty. We thrive on honesty. So here's what we're going to do. For the next couple weeks, we're going to look at each one of these tricks, and, and we're going to expose it for what it is and how do we overcome it. Today, we're talking about the very first one, hedonism or pleasure. So today we're talking about pleasure. Ask you a question. Anybody here enjoy pleasure? Can I see your hand? Anybody enjoy pleasure? I love how torn you were as I asked that question. 
is this a trick question? Like, what kind of pleasure? Do we need more information before we raise our hand? I'm not talking about sinful pleasure. I'm not talking about illicit pleasure. I'm just talking about you just enjoy some pleasure in your life. I think all of us would say we do. And so in preparation for this message, I just thought, what's the most fun thing, the most enjoyable thing, the most pleasurable thing that I've been a part of or that I've done this past year? And I didn't have to think long. Because this past summer, my wife and I went on a cruise, and it was awesome. It was so good. You don't have to cook or clean. There are people there who want to do that for you. You want second lunch? Go on and get second lunch. Go back. Your bed's made. You can go to the pool. You can do whatever you want to do. Here's another amazing part of a cruise. There is no cell service. That people can't bother you. They can't reach you. I see somebody back there. He's amen, and he knows. Guys, it is absolutely amazing on cruise. If you've not done it, you should. Here was probably the best part of our cruise. You ready? We went and the kids didn't. <laughs> now, I love my boys, and some of y'all are judging me right now, and that has to stop. I love my children. But here's the reality. You need to find time away, whether it's a date night or whatever, to invest in your marriage. Because if you don't keep the home fires burning, they will go out. And the very best gift you can give your children is a healthy, thriving marriage. Amen? Amen. I wanted to guilt all of you who are judging me. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a big pleasure. We enjoy all kinds of pleasures. Going to the park with the kids. Hey, here's a... Uh, I mean, simple things, uh, going to the park, going to the beach. For some of you, it could just be going out on the back deck early in the morning, cup of coffee, listening to the birds chirp, watching the sun come up, just enjoying some time alone. Pleasure doesn't have to be expensive, okay? We can enjoy all kinds of pleasure. Here's where the rub comes in. So how do we enjoy pleasure? God wants us to enjoy pleasure, right? How do we enjoy that without falling into Satan's trap, without falling into his scheme? And, and let me kind of ask the question this way. How do we enjoy pleasure in a, in a world that is obsessed with pleasure and is always pulling us to go a little further and a little further? I did some research this week, and here's what I found. The average American spends $2,500 a year on entertainment, movies, ball games, stuff like that, uh, theme parks. The average American spends $2,500. Whenever you look at the average American income, that is a substantial portion. Why, do, why is it so high? Because in our culture, we live by phrases like, and I need your help, okay? So don't just sit there. This is, I'm getting ready to have a participation part in the service. I'm going to need your participation. So we have phrases in, in our country, in the United States, in Mount Olive, like, if it feels good, do it. Feels good, do it. Don't worry, be, be happy. Just enjoy YOLO, you only live once, just go for it, have a ball, see what you can do, enjoy, have fun. And so we live in a culture that is obsessed with pleasure. And so knowing that, I got to tell you, 
I had a tough time figuring out what to preach this week because I thought, man, I don't want to cut worship. And I'm glad I didn't because that was awesome. And, and I know we got baptisms next. And I know that these people will be so mad if I keep them until 2 p.m. And so what do you do? In, in just a short amount of time, God, what can I tell? And, and this week, unlike any other, most of the time I work ahead, okay? This week it has gone down to the wire. And I really believe God just spoke to me and he, he wanted me to tell you one thing. So I've got one predominant point I want to tell you today. All right, and that is God provides pleasure, the devil perverts pleasure. God provides it. Pleasure is not bad, it's not wrong in and of itself. God provides it, but the devil, his desire, his chief end is to pervert it. Let's look at God's word. 1 Timothy 6 17 says this Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in where? In God. Put their hope in God. Why? Because He is the one who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Peter is writing his young preaching protege, excuse me, uh, uh, Paul is writing his young preaching protege, Timothy, and he says, hey, Timothy, preach this. Timothy, be sure you tell them. And I know it's going to be tough to look at those people who are wealthy. And you really need their finances to fund the work of ministry. And you're doing work for the poor and, and the disenfranchised. But you need to look at the rich and you need to tell them, don't put your hope in money. Now, is money wrong? No. Paul is saying that having money is not wrong. Having money is not wrong. The problem is when we become preoccupied with money. The problem is when we put our trust in money, when we find our self-worth in money. Experiencing pleasure is not wrong, but being preoccupied with pleasure is wrong. I've got a good friend of mine several years ago. He called me, and I could tell he had been crying. And I was like, man, what's going on? Are you Okay. And he said, Andrew, I, I need to call and I need you to be an accountability partner for me. Okay, tell me what you got going on, man. He said, I have sinned against God. I, I've taken sports and I have made it an idol. He said, man, I find myself. He, he goes on to just describe the situation in detail, but the, the, the nutshell version is, he said, I, I've got a Baseball team, basketball team, football team that I follow. I've got a college team. I find myself, it's appointment television to watch those ball games. After the ball game's over, before the ball game starts, I find myself watching ESPN. I find myself looking up stats and statistics and where do we rank in the playoff picture and how is all this going? And he said, nothing wrong with sports. Hear me, guys. Nothing wrong with sports. The problem is... When these sports, we become so preoccupied with them. And he went on to say, there's times my kids will be throwing the football in the backyard and I'm inside watching a ball game. And the ball game goes off and I am so mad because my team lost and I can't even enjoy being around my family. Again, sports is not bad. Don't think you have to quit sports or quit watching sports. Can I tell you something? 
I love my Carolina Panthers. They're awful, but I love them. It's a very unhealthy relationship. He said, so here's what he decided he was going to do. He was going to do a six-month fast. Just drop it cold turkey because he knew that that the devil had taken a good thing and had perverted it. And he wasn't going to miss church anymore. And he wasn't going to miss out on time with his family anymore. And he wasn't going to make uh, these sports games appointment television. He still has rooting interests. He still cares. He still watches sometimes. But his whole outlook changed when God broke him that day. And he realized this scheme of the enemy in his life. Now again, hear me guys. I'm not saying sports is bad. But there are a lot of good things that are in your life. It's a pleasure. It's nothing wrong with it. The problem is when the devil perverts it. I want to give you two ways Satan perverts pleasure. There's probably a bunch, but I want to give you two. Number one, by making us want more and more and more and more. So there's this law. It's called the law of diminishing returns. And it's an economic term, but it works in our setting as well. Essentially, here's what it says. that it, Let's use a roller coaster, for example. If you were to go on a roller coaster, that first time you go, it would be absolutely exhilarating. It would be a blast. And then maybe the, for the next couple times, you're just having fun. It's exciting. Woo! You're taking those pictures, the one where your hands are up and your eyes are closed. Ah, you know, you're just scared to death, but excited, and it's a whole lot of fun. But here's what happens. If you continue riding that roller coaster, at some point, it's not as exhilarating. There's a diminishing return. It's the same ride, but it doesn't produce the same feeling, the same level of pleasure, because you know, okay, here comes the big drop. Next is the turn. Now we're going upside down, and it's over. And so in order to get that same level of pleasure, what do you have to do? You have to ride a bigger roller coaster or a faster roller coaster, one with more loop-de-loos or whatever, to get that same level of pleasure. Here's what I'm telling you. Essentially, the devil would like nothing more than to drag you deeper and deeper and deeper. Scripture calls it bondage. Calls it bondage. You can be bound. Now, Satan, he's cunning. He's sly. He doesn't come with the big, thick rope to tie you up and just make his intentions known. No, what does he do? It seems like fun at first. Oh, this will be a good time. It's just twine. It's just, it's not a big deal. You guys remember Samson? It's just twine. It's just a little thing. Don't, no worries. So I've got these bricks here this morning. And, and, and the idea is just to kind of create some kind of object lesson where it's like, and obviously these are not bricks. <clears throat> or I'm just really strong, one of the two. But the idea is we look at this and we think, this is not a big deal. So what if I put a little, uh, it's just, this is one thing. But the way that the devil works is one thing becomes two, two things become three. And then three things become 35. And the next thing we know, we are bound. We are on the other side. And we have separated ourselves from God and God's people. And we've separated ourselves from everything that we once held dear. And we look around and there's nothing back here but this pleasure. This thing that used to bring us a lot of pleasure, but now it, 
We have to have more and more and more. Some of you are thinking right now, whew, finally a sermon that doesn't hit me. I mean, I'm not obsessed with sports, and I mean, I, I enjoy pleasure, but it doesn't. Can I just warn you, be careful. Be careful, because it's tough to see in the mirror. And because I don't know anyone that set out to become a drug addict. I don't know anyone who set out and said, today, you know what? I think I'm going to become an alcoholic. Step one starts today. Or a compulsive eater or addicted to pornography or put in there whatever pleasure that you can think of. I don't know anyone that set out to ruin their lives. And yet, here's how it happens. Here's the path to destruction. It starts with the fascination stage. It starts with the fascination stage. This is where you ask the question of, I wonder what it would be like to do. I wonder what it would be like to eat that or to drink that or to smoke that or to go there or to click on that. Doesn't seem that big like a big deal. It's just, you know, I wonder what it would be like to have that blah. And then the fascination stage goes to the preoccupation stage. This is where, man, I'm really enjoying this. I want to find a way to do this more. I want to figure out, you know, I think I've worked it out. I think I can get some extra time off this year. I think I can. And we become preoccupied with finding ways to incorporate that more and more in our life. And then the preoccupation stage goes to addiction. It's at this stage now it's become such a part of your life. It's, you, you just, you're doing it all the time that now you're really a little bit embarrassed about how much you're doing it. And, and you don't want people to know. And you find yourself hiding it. And you find yourself, ooh, let, let, me, let me not be around people behind closed doors, the dark of night, whatever it is. And, and again, the law of diminishing returns comes into play here. So we're addicted at this point. We're doing it a lot. It's happening a lot. But there's very little pleasure, definitely not as much as there was at first. And then the fascination stage, the preoccupation stage, and the addiction stage lead into the final stage, and that is destruction. And that is just what it sounds like. Now all of a sudden, I am walled off, and my life is absolutely in shambles. I don't even recognize it anymore. Here's what sin does. Sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. I wish I could take credit for that. That's a lot of people say, I don't know, I don't know who to attribute that to. But it's absolutely true. Sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. And do you remember what it, where it started? I wonder what it would be like to... The second way that Satan perverts pleasure, number two, is by luring us to things God never intended for us. By luring us to places and people and things and situations, by luring us to things God never intended for us. So here's what I know. Every loving parent has out of bounds. There is a time, if you come home later than this time, you have broken curfew, right? 
There is out of bounds. And, and just like in the athletic field of play, if you step out of bounds, the ref blows the whistle because the game was never meant to be played out of bounds. It was meant to be played in bounds. God says in Psalms, I have, I have provided boundary lines and they fall in pleasant places. That God has given us boundaries and, and they fall in pleasant places and, and there's lots of pleasure to enjoy here. But if we step out of bounds, God's not preventing us from pleasure. He's preventing us from pain. Give you an example uh, with one of my boys. So I have a five-year-old. Name's Mason. And one of the things that Mason loves to do, this just started in the past two months, Mason loves to go get the mail. And so every day when we get home, Dad, can we check the mail? I want to check the mail. Mail, mail. I mean, it's all you here. You can't even go inside the house to set your stuff down anymore. Because something about checking that mail is just, can't live without it. Well, one day he decided, he knows he's got to have a parent with him. Mom, dad, grandma, granddad, somebody has got to be with him. One day I brought him home. I'm getting landing out of the other side of the truck. Nobody else is there but me. And Mason runs out to the road. Not because he wanted to disobey me, but because he wanted to enjoy the pleasure of getting the mail. Of course, I am scared to death because his look both ways before you step out in the road is something like this. And then he's walking out into the road. Now, as a father, I don't want to deny him the pleasure of checking the mail, I assure you. I just want to prevent the pain of him being hit by an automobile. I've got too much invested in that little guy. There's a lot of money, a lot of doctor's visits, a lot of prayers. I understand now why my parents were so overprotective. <laughs> At the time, I hated it, but now I'm like, he may never leave the house, you know? <laughs> the same thing happened with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes to her in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, and he said, did God say that you couldn't eat from any tree? And she said, no, no, no. He just said this tree. Look at all this. We can have all this. Where do you think Satan took her? He drew her attention to out of bounds. The thing that he wanted her to do was to cross the line. And so ultimately, you know, we just read it. She ends up eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She ends up being lured to a place that God never intended for her to go. And so, uh, I think about our last sermon series. It was sound on, unmuting God's voice. And, and the reason why we started our year with that sermon series, the reason why I felt like that was so important was because I want you to be in God's word. I want you to hear God's voice. Because God's will is found in God's word. That was a major point of the last sermon series. God's will is found in God's word. Like tracks, like, like train tracks, they go together. They run parallel. And if you want to know God's will for your life, get in God's word. And, and so that's the reason, again, why we're reading the Bible, why we're staying in Scripture. Because they go together. 
Here's the deal. So when we start seeking pleasures outside of his will, it ultimately brings pain, not pleasure. No matter what Satan promises, no matter what your friends say, no matter what culture would tell you, when we start seeking pleasures outside of God's will, it brings ultimately pain and not pleasure. 1 Peter 4, 2-6 through 6 says this, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Who's he talking about? In, in just a verse earlier, he's talking about those who have been saved, those who have been redeemed. They're living for the will of God. He goes on, verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That's what the world in that time, and honestly, nothing's changed much. That's what the world in this time thinks is fun. Get drunk. You know, do what pagans choose to do. Lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, all of these things. Verse 4, they are surprised that you do not join them in this reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. The people of the world, your, 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 your friends who were lost, your neighbors, co-workers, those who were lost, they are genuinely surprised when you don't find your excitement and your pleasure and your joy in those things that they say is pleasurable and brings them joy. They don't... Doesn't, compute but here's what peter told them he said but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead one day each and every one of us will stand before a holy god and he will say what did you do with my son jesus and what did you do with what i gave you did you accept jesus christ as your personal lord and savior did you walk in that relationship did you live that out and that will be the determining factor of where you spend all of eternity and, and so peter goes on to say verse six for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but a live but live according to god in regard to the spirit essentially peter's saying this this is why the gospel had to go to all people this is why everybody had to hear about what Jesus did on Calvary. How by the shedding of his blood, the remission of sins was possible. How we can have relationship with God. The gospel had to go forth because God wanted you to know that very clearly before you today stands two paths. There is a path to death, hell, and damnation. And Satan is bent on trying to get you on that path to enjoy pleasure that the world enjoys, to go after those things. But there is also life. Today I set before you two paths. One is death, the other is life. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Don't waver between two opinions. Choose a path and get on it. And he says that whenever we choose the path of life, the path of relationship with Christ, we will know a joy that is inexpressible. I'm finishing up. I got a quote by C.S. Lewis. This is it, and then we're done. I wish you guys would take a picture of this, write it down, screenshot it in the notes, whatever you want to do. Here's what he says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, 
but too weak. God doesn't see your desire for pleasure and go, whoa, that's completely out of hand. No, he says, man, you don't want enough pleasure in your life. You don't desire enough enjoyment. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Again, there's the two paths. You see them? Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. You know what that is? That's a cruise. C.S. Lewis apparently bought stock in Carnival. I mean, look at the word picture. He says, they're content to keep making mud pies in a slum because they can't even imagine the pleasure that an almighty God could provide them. What a, what a visual. And then he goes on. I love this last line. Let's say it together. We are far too easily pleased. That's it. For every single one of us, we are far too easily pleased. Here's what scripture says. That the gospel message is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being restored, it is the very word of God. To those of us who are being redeemed, who are accepting that. We've quit fooling around in the mud pies and the slum. Now we know abundant life. We're on that cruise with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel message today. If you're not sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. God knows your heart. If you say these words in your heart, He knows it. Here's what we're going to say, Heavenly Father. I believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be. He is the Savior and the Messiah. Thank you for sending Him to earth. Thank you that by His blood, I can be redeemed. God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to live in my heart. And Lord, help me every day to walk out this decision. Every day to keep that relationship vibrant and healthy. Every day to walk in intimacy. Lord, I'm asking for you to save me. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.